everybody. I am your host, Susan Seville, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Bank Statements, part of the Federal Home Loan Bank of Topeka podcast series. Today, we have with us Ryan Gilliland, and Ryan has been with the Federal Home Loan Bank for several years, and he is a vice president here, and he is our government relations officer. So he spends a lot of time in Washington, D.C., keeping his finger on the pulse of what's going on. I also spend a lot of time listening to podcasts, far more than my wife or kids would like to hear in the car. So, hey, that's a good thing. Very exciting. It was very exciting. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. And Ryan, I was hoping that with all the, you know, things that have gone on this last year and all the changes that that um, have happened in D.C., that maybe you could give us a 30,000 foot view of what those important changes are to bankers, what they should be aware of, what our members should be kind of know about what's going on. So, you know, the federal home loan bank system collectively um, has uh, lobbying teams and government relations uh, officers in each of the 11 districts. We've also got a council that works on behalf of the federal home loan banks collectively. So, I am one of 11 first, uh, and also we work um, with our member organizations, and we sort of view this in, in two buckets, right? We've got the things that the Federal Home Loan Bank thinks about, and we've got the things that our members think about. And a lot of those are congruent, but there's times where we might have specific issues or our members might have specific issues. And, and like you say, we've gone through a totally different year, and there's been a lot of change on both ends of that spectrum. Uh, and frankly, the federal home loan bank system was was meant to do its best work in times of crisis, right? So, um, the last year and eighteen months, I guess, at this point, um, have really been an opportunity for us to display our value to the financial system writ large, but also. Um, during the midst of that, and I think we've performed admirably, but during the midst of that, we've had to face a lot of new challenges just operationally, how we work, and, and obviously the focus in D.C. has totally shifted. Um, so you've got you know your traditional banking issues, whether it's um, you know obviously our, our liquidity mission, we've got affordable housing mission on, on our side of the table. Uh, our members continue to be concerned about a number of different things, and their world has changed, uh, but they've got uh, you know, cannabis banking, they've got um, a number of new regulations and, and just the, the sheer volume of, of work that they had to do in the last year to help their members stay afloat and to help their members' businesses and communities stay afloat has has totally changed things. Um, and, and I know people get tired of hearing that, but D.C. tends to run in cycles and they're, run, they're running in legislative cycles, right? Two-year cycles, four-year cycles. And so you'll typically see... In any given two-year cycle, especially when you have a congressional reset and a presidential reset, you'll see that first hundred days a, a bull rush. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, and trying to push it. everything through in that first hundred days of office. Exactly. Is a real exactly. Marking point. Yep. New administration has has uh, a lot of authority. You've got a new Congress that's ready to go. There's there's a couple weeks of organization and whatnot that go into that, but. But you work in windows. And one of the things COVID did was obviously shift those windows. And it, and it created this event in the middle of a traditional cycle that was totally different. And people had to really adjust to that. And, and so did we. So it, it opened up and it also extended a lawmaking window um, in 
2020 throughout 2020, whereas normally you would have seen the back half of 2020 be a little bit quieter because most would be heading into their elections. You'd be in the midst of the legislative cycle. It wouldn't be a lawmaking phase. Obviously, in 2020, there was a lot that had to get done and Congress had to kick it into high gear and, and Congress had to work in a bipartisan fashion. So um, beyond that, just generally, I think one of the lasting impacts of, of COVID is that it obviously created a lot of new trends, but it also accelerated a number of trends. And so I think whether it's digital banking, whether it's consolidation, branch consolidation, you know, there's so many of those types of issues that were already emerging. And that if you were really down in the weeds, you were, you were noticing it, or, or if you were on the front edge, you're noticing it. But it, 2020 really accelerated a lot of those. And I think that is one of the, the lasting trends that we're going to see uh, moving forward and, and have seen and that we've had to adjust to. Another yet another result of COVID. Another thing that it's changed going Piled forward. On. Yep, yep. One more thing. Absolutely. A couple of things that I'd like to ask you about, if you'll maybe dive in a little bit more and give a little little, little detail. Um, one of those is the debt ceiling. Um, can mm-hmm. you give us a little perspective on that and and what's happened there? Yeah, um, and that's something that has come up, of course, you know, intermittently and. Um, the difficulty is <laughs> this is a debate that, that quickly gets wrapped up in, uh, well, this side did that and now we're not going to do that. And there's this, you know, hypocritical edge to every argument that's made about what's going to get done. But the difference on, on debt ceiling is that, you know, we've walked up to, and we've even entered government shutdowns. You know, the, the Congress have seen, has seen what a government shutdown could look like. And there's, procedures and protocols, they've never gone over the edge on the debt ceiling. And you can say it's on paper and you can say it's, you know, it's largely contrived or, you know, there's, there's always some commentary that it's not as big a deal as we make it out to be. Uh, But the reality is that's one area that regardless of what you hear in the press, nobody wants to walk over that line. And so, um, there's there's constantly saber rattling as you get up to the precipice, uh, and we saw that earlier uh, this fall in 2021, and I think you're going to see more of that again up through December. Um, but I really think because it cuts so deeply both ways politically uh, that something gets done, whether it's at the 11th hour or, or the 11th hour and 45th minute, it gets done. And so uh, the problem is it creates a lot of instability on the way up to it, and obviously. Uh, for our function and the way the federal home banks operate, that's a question that we wrestle with and our capital markets teams wrestle with. And uh, you'd certainly like to build more stability and security into that question. Uh, but that's one that, that is difficult because it, it creates talking points for both sides that are very useful. Um, and at the end of the day, that's, that's part of the issue in politics that you're just always going to confront. But uh, I tend to think it's going to get done uh, like it always does. And so we're, I know we're always keeping our eye on that ball around here in sure. our capital markets group to make sure that we can navigate that the best way yeah. and uh, always uh, continue to, to serve our purpose for our members. Yeah. And there's been, you know, as a result of these discussions, there's been a lot of talk about building some sort of permanent solution to where you don't have to walk up to the precipice every single time. Um, but again, when you're in control, it's a lot harder to make a change that affects the future than it does when you're in the minority. And now that both sides have gone through that exercise, uh, we'll see. Maybe it'll it'll loosen up eventually. But at this point, 
uh, certainly through the end of, of the calendar year in 21. I don't think we're going to arrive at a universal solution that eliminates the, the debt ceiling food fights. Hopefully working toward it. We'll see. Well, one other issue that I, I know was, has been problematic for many years um, for members and, and still is you know, unresolved is uh, the cannabis banking um, issue. So can you uh, kind of tell us where things are there? What's what's sure. up with that right now and what they should be aware of? Sure. Well, prior to doing this, I was a, a staffer for, for quite a while at the state level. And it is always true that the easiest issues are always the most difficult because everybody can understand them for the most part. Everyone has an opinion. There, everybody's right? got an opinion, right? So um, cannabis banking is one of those that, that has absolutely kind of played out that way. Um, we here in Topeka, the Federal Home of Topeka, have been closer to that simply because Colorado's in our footprint. Uh, Representative Ed Perlmutter, who's uh, really been the tip of the spear on a lot of this uh, and is a good friend of the Federal Home Loan Banks, has been uh, front and center. And so we have we have paid attention pretty closely to this one. Um, and, you know, what's interesting about it, it's, uh, it's similar to um, – the construct that we've had in 2021 with the bipartisan infrastructure package and the build back better reconciliation bill, because you keep hearing about one being held hostage for the other and one being used as leverage for the other that plays out a little bit, uh, similarly in cannabis banking, because you've got what is generally a, a pretty popular, I, I shouldn't say popular, but you've got a pretty bipartisan, package in in what's called the SAFE Act, and that's really just the banking functions. And it's meant to install a system that would allow banks regulatory certainty, it would allow consumers regulatory certainty, it would really clean up a lot of the kind of easier to deal with issues. It, it, it isn't a judgment call on the broader topic. It has a ton of bipartisan support, frankly, uh, and, and has made it through the House. And is right now attached to the National Defense Authorization Act, which is one of those must-pass vehicles, right? So there's some question as to whether or not that stays on uh, the NDAA, and and we shall see. But the mechanically, like I said, it's similar to the bipartisan infrastructure package and reconciliation bill, where you've got this very popular piece of bipartisan legislation um, that could potentially drag a less popular piece of legislation across the line, right? So you've got this debate going on uh, within the Democratic Party of, well, we want to do broad-scale reform on cannabis, and that, that extends to criminal justice, that extends to any number of topics, and the broader topic in general, you know, with legalization. And so part of the rationale, of course, is, well, let's not let the hostage go, and and let's use the hostage to pull the rest of it across the line. And so that's a challenge for leadership. That's a, that's a challenge uh, for the party to, to try to, um, you know, figure out how they want to use both parts of that or if they want to use both parts of that in unison and, and work together as a package uh, or if you want to take the SAFE Act. So um, that's one that remains to be seen. I, it's obviously going to get done at some point. And, you know, the, the more states – that pass laws and the more the better chance that you can you can tell which uh side of history will probably end up on uh but the way it comes about and the way safe act comes about um still remains to be unseen it remains to be seen but uh interesting battle interesting discussion and you know it's really elevated over the course of time you know it's uh 
you know, prior to the pandemic, it had really elevated and was at one point the American Bankers Association's top issue. Absolutely. Right? And yeah. it was it was a discussion that every time we would join one of the groups headed to D.C., that's topic one, two and three. And so it really is a, a practically uh, useful issue for bankers to talk about and, and to to work on with Congress. And I think it'll get done. It's just um, a question of whether or not it'll get done this year. And I, I tend to doubt it. But Stranger things have happened. Maybe, maybe a January or after thing. We'll see. Yeah, we'll yeah. see. It, I yeah. think twenty twenty two might uh, might be a good a good time. But again, you you talk about cycles, and and once you get into you know the spring months in twenty twenty two, then you're in the next cycle. Everybody's thinking primaries, and that's obviously a divisive topic. So you know, pretty easy for it to stall out uh, early on in the year. So we shall see. It'll be interesting to see how that gets resolved because I know it's something that is uh, problematic and really needs some attention. So absolutely, to see that. Absolutely, we've talked before about the June Supreme Court ruling mm-hmm. that clarified the authority of the president to replace uh, leaders at yeah. the federal home loan bank system's regulatory body which is the Federal Housing Finance Agency. Right. Uh, I was curious to hear your perspective on how that's all played out and, and what that's affecting. Sure. Yeah. It's, and that's one, uh, without getting too deep in the weeds, you know, it's, that's been going on for quite a while. That, I mean, that case has been active for quite a while. And it was a little bit different uh, in, in the case of the federal home loan banks because the question in general was already being adjudicated through you know, the prism of the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which is largely similar in terms of their structure. And so the the question first came regarding the CFPB and the court ruled that, yes, indeed, the president did have the authority to remove a CFPB director at will. However, even though we are very similarly structured, that ruling didn't extend to the federal home loan banks or to the FHFA more specifically. So it was part of a larger larger lawsuit about a different topic, but it ultimately drilled down to that question. And so you had uh, finally after Supreme Court arguments and, and that process, uh, you had a ruling come down in June, which again, largely confirmed what most anticipated, which was that the president did indeed have the authority to hire and fire at will uh, at the FHFA. Now, he exercised that authority later that afternoon. Right. uh, And so, again, that was a big change for us to have to digest immediately. And it's it's sort of indicative of one of the larger trends um, that we've talked about before in, in banking in general, which is, you know, in the absence of congressional action, you're seeing more and more migrate to agencies and to regulatory agencies. And that's not to say Congress still doesn't have a role and Congress still can't wake up and decide what they want to do about any given topic on any given morning and and make a, a huge difference. And they can still put pressure on those regulators and they can still use the confirmation process to put pressure on those regulators. So it's not as if Congress isn't involved. They're absolutely involved and they're absolutely in the center of it. But you just see more migrating to the regulatory agencies. And so in this case, the difficulty is that now you've got another uh, federal instrumentality where a change in an election can literally overnight reshape 
the regulatory structure in an agency or the regulatory focus or the regulatory certainty. So in our case, you know, overnight you can go from somebody uh, who has one distinct view of how the federal home loan banks and Fannie and Freddie and, and all the regulated entities ought to operate. And that may be through a liquidity prism. And the next day it goes to a new director who has a distinctly different view about how those regulated entities ought to operate. And, and the way that you're evaluated, the way that you are uh, coerced or, or pushed or incentivized uh, to evolve is going to be at the behest of a new regulator. Uh, and many times, obviously, a regulator that has a new boss who probably has a distinctly different view. So that's all manageable. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's capable of switching and, and we're right along with them. But it just creates another element of uncertainty and another element of just sort of choppiness. And so that's that's a big change that, that we've endured uh, in the midst of everything else that was going on. Yeah, so, it is. It was a big change for us. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Well, is there anything else that you would like to mention that you feel like is is a key to to our membership? Well, I I think we're so lucky to have the members that we have. You know, I think the members that Federal Home Loan Topeka has specifically, uh, you know, really represent kind of the the broadest swath in terms of um, what banking can do for a community, what mm. banking mm-hmm. does for their local communities. And that obviously, I talk about the federal home loan banks showing their strength in, in a moment of crisis. And I think we saw that down the line through our community banks and, and through our community lenders. They absolutely retooled overnight and and showed that they were the backbone. Uh, yeah, they really stepped up. Of, of um, the response this year. So we're very lucky to have the members that we have to go represent. Uh, we've also got a wonderful congressional delegation that's that's pretty easy to work with. But, you know, I think, again, and, and I know members hear this from their uh, associations all the time, but being present really is half the battle and, and being there to explain what's actually going on. And, and I think in most cases, lawmakers are pretty good about recognizing when you've got legitimate issues and when they've got uh, an ability to really – assist you in helping with the nuts and bolts and the, the sort of boots on the ground operations that are going on in these places. And so, you know, to the extent that our members can be involved or, or if we can help, that's obviously one of the value adds that we try to, to bring uh, is being that advocate and providing those opportunities to reach out or even to give me a call and just say, hey, what are you hearing? What do you think of this? Uh, do you have any questions on it? That's Again, I consider it a value add, and I think it's something that uh, we're all pretty comfortable helping out with. So um, if at any point we can do that, uh, obviously uh, feel free to reach out, and and uh, you're easy to find on the Internet. I'm sure I'm easy to find sure. on the Internet. Uh, they can look us up. But that's really the main thing is, is stay involved and, and be your own advocate because there's a lot to be proud of uh, in our footprint and, and with what our members are doing. And that's a story you've got to continue to tell. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I agree that your presence means a lot in those conversations, um, going going there and, and being present with them and talking with them in person if possible. And it does help. It does help. And that's you know one of the trends that we're seeing uh, as well that we could have spent some time on is just the transition in digital banking. And one of the advantages that, that the incumbent lending industry has is that they understand their members, they understand their customers, they understand 
how this all works. Uh, so it's it's a good time for them to, to remain involved in that. And, and the world's going to change. That You're not going to slow that down. Uh, but you should be involved in the way that it changes. And, and that's what we're passionate about being involved in and helping our members, you know, have that voice. So yeah, we'll continue to do our part. Yeah. And, um, Ryan, I know you do a great job advocating for our members when you're there talking to the, um, congressman and, and, uh, I know we have very active trades in our four state region trade associations that also did a great job of sending delegations, um, to Washington to present their points of view and the things that they feel are important to be worked on. And, and, um, so I, we're proud to help with that and, um, and go and have somebody boots on the ground there too, that, that advocates for the members. So we appreciate your work there. Well, thank you. We, we've got great partners. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. We have the best. We're the Midwest, of course, right? We have the best. <laughs> so, you bet. Great. Well, thank you so much for, for, uh, being with us today and, uh, Thank you, everyone, for tuning in for another episode of Bank Statements. As always, if you have any suggestions or ideas for future topics, reach out to us and let us know. And thank you again, and we'll see you next time. Bank Statements podcast is brought to you by the Federal Home Loan Bank of Topeka and our members, the community financial institutions in Colorado, Kansas, Nebraska, and Oklahoma. To learn more about our cooperative and get the most out of your membership, reach out to your regional account manager or friendly lending staff at 800-809-2733.